0: Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. I'm your host, Alex Burkett. Joining me this week is Evan Dollard. Evan is the season one of the revival American Gliders champion and also an American Glider named Rocket. He's an American Ninja Warrior contestant. He's a content creator and a TV host and writer. He comes on the show to talk about his journey and his rise to the challenge through the film and TV industry. He talks about what he hopes to accomplish in the future and how the pandemic hasn't stopped him, but it gives him the opportunity to come up with great ideas. And I truly enjoyed my interview with Evan and talking about his journey. Remember, if you're new to the podcast, make sure you follow us on all your major podcast platforms. But if you want to see the in-depth interview on YouTube, go to our YouTube channel that just launched. Our quick fire challenge this week is this is not just another day. This is yet another chance to make your dreams come true. So, what are you going to do today to make your goals happen? What is the future going to look like for you? So, sit back and relax, and enjoy the interview and rise to the challenge of Evan Dollard. Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining me today, he's an athlete, TV host, an American Ninja Warrior, the champion of season one of American Gladiators, turned American Gladiator Rocket, a content creator. It's Evan Dollar. How are you doing today, Evan? <laughs> I'm
1: I'm doing better now that you've listed my accolades. Gosh, that was. Am I missing anything? I mean, I, I mean, the resume is pretty oh, good. No, I think I, I think you might have made some of those up actually.
0: I mean, you know, hey, the listeners don't know, so. <laughs>
1: they don't know. I feel like you padded my resume a little bit, but you know what? I'm okay with it. It, it just, it really made me feel good. Well, I'm happy.
0: I am so happy that you're coming onto the show. I followed, I'm a huge fan of American Gladiators, and
1: following your career, even
0: post it, it's kind of exciting and an honor to be able to interview
1: well, thank you. You must have been—you must have been pretty young when American Gladiators came out, though. Yeah, I mean that's—that's that's going back a ways.
0: So the '90s version, I was a huge fan of. As I've grown up, um, I actually have the nickname Nitro. So Nitro was a huge part of my life, and sadly, I have a tattoo of Nitro—not the name, because that was the nickname my family gave me. So yeah, that was. I think when I... Well, this is going to tell my age. When I was born, there was only two seasons left of the, the old American Gladiators. So... Got it. You came around in 2008. I was... I think it was in middle school. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I... I've watched every episode, maybe like ten times. I can't get enough of it.
1: Yeah. Just, well, you're one of the, you're one of the few that can't <laughs> get enough of it. That's that's why the reboot only went two more two additional seasons. Ah, which I know, was a, a disappointment for everybody involved. Cause we had a lot of fun with it. I, I mean, apart from the spandex, uh, which I could give or take, you I know, have, like no. the competition itself was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun.
0: So we're going to go straight to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in
1: growing up? Involved sports wise, you mean, or just sort of generally, generally. Oh man. Wow. How much time do we have? No, I, I'm from uh, the suburbs of Chicago, Fox River Grove. It's a small town Northwest, about 40 miles Northwest of the city, but as far away from Chicago you can get to still be considered a suburb. And, uh, I had a great childhood. I really did. There was, we were walking distance from the elementary school. There was a little wooded area where me and the other guys on the street, we could meet up and like build tree forts, you know, like I had a proper boyhood childhood where we were just running around playing cops and robbers and playing pickup games of street hockey. And yeah, as I said, building tree forts in the woods, like it was awesome. And I, I'm really appreciative for that opportunity because it's something that not only you get to be active, but it activates your imagination and a sense of adventure and all that. So I was really, really appreciative for the way that I grew up. And I've got an older sister and a younger brother. Both of them are married now. And uh, uh, mom and dad that stayed married up until the point that my my mom died of brain cancer when uh, when I was 20, 2002. Which is part of the story on American Gladiators. Um 'Cause I that had been maybe three well no been a while, It'd been maybe five years since she had passed away. And that gave me a, a platform and an opportunity to sort of honor her legacy and the legacy of my family and my parents all collectively to be on that show. But yeah, that's that's where I'm from. A lot of activity growing up. Tried everything I could get my hands on, whether that was snowboarding or trying to make a basketball team or baseball team or whatever. I was never a varsity athlete. I was just kinda good at a lot of things.
0: You kind of did it for the fun of it, not the
1: competitive side, would you say? No. Oh, no. I wanted to be competitive. <laughs> I just didn't – I did. I wasn't quite strong enough of a basketball player to make the team. So fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, that's when tryouts began for basketball in my town at least. And those three years in a row I did not make the team, and it wasn't until eighth grade that I did. And that was awesome. But then I rode the bench all eighth grade, all freshman year, all sophomore year of high school. And then I decided to branch off into to Cedar. And that's what I, that's basically how I finished up my high school career, was doing Cedar and court, if you can believe that. I would have never uh, thought that,
0: just from yeah. seeing everything you've done so far.
1: Well, prepare to be surprised. Hey, there's a, there's a <laughs> lot you don't know.
0: That's the good thing about the show. Everyone has a story from what we've seen maybe on a resume or on a page. And it's the fun part about this job is to learn even more about the person. Did you have any motivations or someone that you inspired to be?
1: Oh, interesting. You know what I've had a lot of fun watching recently is uh, the Last Dance documentary that came out. Did you watch that at all? Yes. Because that was my childhood. I mean, we had one basketball hoop on the garage, one that was portable so we could play full court games of, of pickup basketball on my driveway. And then we would lower the rim down and just have dunk contests, and each of us would be either Scotty Pippen or Michael Jordan or other p- players that were popular outside of Chicago at the time, like Sean Kemper, Penny Hardaway, whatever it was. We'd each take on the moniker of, of whatever athlete we wanted to be. And I don't know. So watching The Last Dance was sort of like a callback to my childhood because we we had three I mean excuse me two back-to-back three-peats that that's talk about captivating the imagination of a child like I I genuinely through middle school up until the point of like I don't know I stopped growing height-wise like the NBA is my future uh and once I realized the NBA wasn't my future that's when I started doing (laughs) Cedar but I was still an athlete I enjoyed it but no, competitively, I really wanted to be a great basketball player. And I um, I suppose my ultimately looking back on it now, my interests were just too divided. I, I loved playing and trying new things so much that I wasn't dedicated to becoming the best basketball player of all time. I just, it was the idea that I had of it. So I guess early on, you could say that a lot of the players from that Chicago Bulls dynasty were on that list of people that I looked up to, probably Steve, I I think somewhere I still have a Steve Kerr autographed hat. You know, it's been fun to see him coaching for for Golden State now because I thought, yeah, that guy, he's, uh, that could be me. That could be me playing for the Bulls in, you know, 10 years or whatever. But yeah.
0: What was your, like, goal? Was it just probably being a basketball player or when you transferred to being in theater, did you have a different goal?
1: Oh, the, the goal changed pretty quickly mid-high mid, mid high school because I think it was, I basically went from riding the bench as as a basketball player, played on the soccer team too and I rode the bench, and <laughs> I was a strong bench warmer, strong, very good at my job. Uh, and then I got, uh, by when I, when I auditioned for the school play, I actually got cast as the lead my junior year, and I thought, oh, this is way better than riding the bench because now I'm actually on stage contributing like, and I have a skill set that's seemingly valued here mm-hmm. and I can bring that to, to this production. And then I ended up getting a commercial agent, downtown Chicago, uh, my, I don't know, maybe my senior year of high school. So now I was driving downtown by myself, you know, taking, taking off from high school early to drive to the city, to go on an audition for a TV show or a commercial. And I thought, Oh, this is so fun. It was, and, and then the, the objective became, okay, how can I be more or less an actor? How can I get on television? How can I get on, get into film? And so my first two years of college, then I actually majored in acting at the university of Illinois in Champaign while I continued to audition for various projects. And then end of my sophomore year is when my mom passed away and it was just really, really hard. It was, it was difficult to to know which way was up. The grief was, was, pretty all-consuming you know it is sort of like this cloud you know this this fog that's hovering over you and it was hard to make I don't know it was right in the middle of my collegiate career and for me at least that loss made it difficult to make uh, practical decisions for the future so I, I drifted a little bit at that point.
0: Did you kind of use the inspiration with your mom to continue and going for stuff and knowing that she's there with you no matter where you hmm.
1: That's an interesting question. I don't want to say no. I was just so sad, and it was, uh, and I just missed her. And it, I'm trying to think of what sort of pulled me back into the ring. I guess part of it was my friend Becca. She was working at a casting agency in Chicago at the time. So it had been years since I'd done anything athletic. It had been years since I'd I'd gone on any auditions. I'd finally graduated with a degree in, in marketing communication because I thought that's a practical, applicable mm. skill that I could have and it looks good on, on a resume. Took a couple internships in media relations and PR and it just wasn't for me, but I wasn't sure what was. So Becca was like, Hey, I've got an audition coming up for this Coke commercial. Do you want to come in and check it out? So I did. I did not book it, but it sort of reminded me of, of, that desire, that passion, that ambition, other than just trying to navigate which heavily my my worldview, my spiritual worldview at the time specifically, and then uh, career wise what what happens next, so it was probably a good uh, yeah a good four years of not really having much of a strong direction and not having this sense that, oh, mom is with me, and she 's going to empower me and inspire me to move forward it 's more like wow, i 'm really turn around right now and how do I get back on track
0: what was like a job that you got from c- doing commercials and tv that maybe some people would recognize you today was there yeah, anything some like,
1: people <laughs> that somebody would recognize today like if we saw from that time
0: yeah was there any like popular brands you were doing or was it just local stuff uh,
1: no maybe there was I did Goodness gracious. I think I was in a couple of miller Lite commercials that aired in Canada exclusively. <laughs> so there might, like, if you have a Canadian audience at all, they might be like, oh, that guy. Um, now I got to find this commercial. Like commercial. in America for, like, a second. It was, it was a holiday commercial for Bud Light, and it's basically you're cheersing, and all the cheersing played out jingle bells or something to that effect. So you see me cheersing someone for like 0.3 <laughs> seconds and then I'm gone. I'd be shocked if anyone recognized me from that. The McDonald's commercial that I did, I got cut from the final uh, product, so that one never aired. Uh, <laughs> that was my, my break. When you were doing
0: those alcohol commercials, how old were you
1: at that time? He well, had to, uh, to be 25. Okay. Cause so this was yeah. probably right before right before Gladiator
0: okay because i'm thinking
1: if you, this was like at
0: the beginning of you going and doing an auditions like you oh, would be under can eight. you imagine that just would not be a good sign for them
1: <laughs> no i must have been at least 25. so that was 25 was a good year for me i'll be honest with you things really started to turn around at 25 <laughs> for a time
0: did you get any like perks or anything from those companies like did they just pay well or give you free stuff
1: no, oh, uh, no free, no free Miller Light, you Damn. know, which is probably for the better. Uh, Bud Light play, played pretty well because they aired that commercial throughout the holiday season, so there were a number of residuals that came in for that just for that year. They didn't, they never picked it up for for years to to come. But that was a that was a good Christmas, I'll say that, especially for doing this, you know, on camera. <laughs> Nobody should get paid what I got paid for doing this. Um, but yeah, that was, yeah no, no, other than that, I can't think of any, any free stuff.
0: So after college or graduating from college, what's one thing you learned about yourself that you didn't know at that time?
1: I think that I learned about myself after college. For- well, but, so I'll, to back up just a little bit, part of, so I, I left the acting program at U of I, took a semester off, And worked. And then I ended up uh, studying ministry at a a private institute up in Wisconsin for a year. Took another semester off, went to another uh, Bible college in the Chicago suburbs for a semester (laughs) before I transferred to Columbia. So it took me a long time to get my undergraduate degree in marketing. And part of it was along the way, I had an instructor at this uh, private ministry school that said he upheld the value of commitment. And I sort of held on to that. And I thought it's important for me just to to finish something that I've started. And it was largely due to his influence that I ended up finishing my college degree at all. And that was it ended up being more important to me, not even just from a, a career or educational standpoint, because while I learned a lot in the marketing department uh for sure, the knowing that I that I could that college wasn't hard for me. It was just difficult. I don't like studying. I don't like sitting in a classroom. I don't like listening to lectures, like anything. I don't, I don't like reading all the audiobooks that I listened to are just, I are just that they're audio books. So like the whole process of conventional learning like that was, was tough for me. So to get through all of that and finally finish something that I'd started all these years later with the adversity, uh, emotional, predominantly and spiritual of losing my mom, like that was something that I learned about myself or could at least appreciate that I did the value of following through and finishing something that I started.
0: I think a lot of people could relate from the experience of not being able to follow through with stuff. Like you said, with conventional learning, I was a person that it's like, get me in the real world. like Let me Mm. show you what I'm able to do. Don't judge me off of what I just learned in a textbook because a lot of times the textbooks don't really tell you what really happens. Like I can't say with my business degree that all those tools I'm using today or it's exactly like how it's supposed to be. And I think I was a person where if I was on top of something, I'm gonna complete it no matter what's in my path. And so a lot of my friends have not had that struggle with following through because they just wanna give up right away. And I think with you, the obstacles and the challenges you went through, you kept going and you were able to accomplish what you wanted to do. Yeah. So after your internships, what was that first job you had?
1: Uh, (laughs) Well, I'm trying to think about this because I think the two two internships that I had, which were awesome, I mean, objectively for any other person and personality, they would have been so, so rad. Like I had to work for the Chicago Marathon in their PR department as an intern and then work for a a medium-sized PR firm downtown which in and of itself was kind of fun to, <laughs> I don't know, for the first time in my life, like buy pea coat and like have my slack and my button up and, and tuck it in and get on the L train. Like I felt like an adult, you know, like getting on the L and taking it into the city, walking up to the office, the, the big old office building. <laughs> it all sounds silly right now, but it's very true. I didn't kind of feel like an adult for the first time. It just was awful. So I ended up being an extra in a movie for a month after I left that job, which was also a lot of fun. The movie called the express it's got uh, Dennis Quaid in it. else? Well, Rob, Rob Brown, I think. Um, and it was, it was a football film. They were filming in Chicago that summer. And I got to be the mascot for the Syracuse orange men, which at that time, cause it's a period piece was an actual Indian. So I would be, uh, in the makeup trailer every single morning and they they'd put me in the makeup to be the mascot of the Syracuse Orangemen and they gave me this headdress and I would just run around up and down the field and (laughs) that's how I spent like a month of my summer which I don't know I mean again it's a period piece I was about to say I don't know if you can get away with that today but like you can't that's obviously why that that mascot doesn't exist anymore Mm -hmm. But it was it was an interesting film to be a part of and to see, to be on such a massive set and to see these, uh, to be up and close and personal with the, the whole production, to see the director work with the actors and to see the actors perform in various stages and, and all that. That was a really fun experience. And met a few cool people, like the extras. we just hang out with each other all day. I mean, a lot of sitting around. So that was one thing that I did and then I honestly I got a job at uh Hollister working as an assistant manager I can't I don't understand why it doesn't make any sense to me it's like you, it's, uh,
0: it's kind of like you go from like one thing and then you go back to like the acting and then you're kind of like okay I did that and then you go to something else and then I work at Hollister it's kind of like you were kind of trying to find what you're like what path you were taking and I it. Some people takes a little and some people it goes they find it right away so you're just like finding what fits at that
1: time kind of yeah i mean if i could have like many like many artists and and actors and storytellers whatever it's musicians fill in the blank like it's hard to find consistent work in Mm -hmm. the field that you love if i could have been a full-time actor or storyteller at that time i would have so but being an extra in a movie that just was filming in Chicago for a month isn't exactly sustainable. It's not long-term. Yeah. I knew that I didn't want to do something. Um, I, didn't, I didn't want to go back to a, an office and sit at a desk. So, but I needed to make money. Mm-hmm. I needed to make money. And so when I, I, that's how I got introduced to retail. So like here's you can wear torn up jeans and sandals. You know, and you can work this many days a week. You'll be in the city. If you want to take time off to, to go audition for a project, go, go audition for the project and we'll have someone covered for you. So they're very flexible in that way. Okay. And it was during that time that the audition for American Gladiators came up. And so I had the day off and I went and, and auditioned for Gladiators and ended up booking that.
0: So when you're, before you were going for Gladiators, did you watch the show before or like in the back in the nineties and was a fan of it?
1: Oh yeah, as a kid growing up, I used to watch the show. And I thought it was awesome, you know, and I always it truly was a dream come true to be on that show because it was so fun. And I did meet uh, Dan Clark Nitro. He was the one that sort of introduced us who at the final callback in L.A., he was the one that was showing us how to 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 joust and what his technique was on various obstacles and everything. So that was a lot of fun and also very surreal. Mm-hmm. too, to be like, oh, this is the guy that I used to watch, you know, growing up, and now he's trying to teach me how to joust. He did, he did a terrible job, because oh. the joust was, you know, it's not, it's not his fault. Obviously, it's mine. But my, the joust was my worst, absolute worst event in that show.
0: What was the tryouts like? Because back then, mm. they
1: kind of showed
0: what the tryouts were, like, with the people trying out, but we don't really get to see that much in the revival version.
1: Yeah, well, the first tryout was an open call. I don't I don't know how many cities they had, maybe four, four to six, I would guess, open calls around the around the country. Ours was in Chicago, which is like three miles from where I was living at the time. And there was a, so I waited six hours in line Ooh. because this, because what else did I have to do? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, if you're passionate about it, it's
1: worth it after all. No, I know for sure. I joke around about it. Actually, a good buddy of mine uh, since college that I saw just a couple of days ago, um, Ed. He was he was getting his accelerated MBA at Northwestern at the time, and so he waited for, he waited to audition with me for the first two hours, and then he was all like, <laughs> "Yeah, man, I got I got real things to do with my life.
0: <laughs> oh, my I gotta
1: go." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna. I have the day off. I'm gonna stay here." So. Went, waited six hours, and then it was as many pull-ups as you could do in 30 seconds. There was a shuttle run with maybe some push-ups in between, and then uh, a 50 or a 60, probably a 50-yard dash or a 50-meter dash, and you had to do it in under six seconds or something like that. Then there was a quick five-minute interview, and then they said, cool, if we like what we see, then we'll, we'll bring you back in a couple days and for, for a longer interview. Mm-hmm. So then, sure enough, I got a call a couple days later, Went down to they had rented out some hotel, some hotel rooms in Chicago and set up the cameras. So I had a longer, maybe 30-minute interview at that time. And then they had me put a video together of my athleticism. And goodness, what else? There was like a 40-page application. And then there was the final callback in LA that was four or five days, I think. Like it was significant. Like there was a huge process to it. I mean, when I think about the difference of that versus. Like American Ninja Warrior, as an example, like you you submit your audition tape and if they like you, come, come be on the show. Whereas yeah. this was a multi-step process to like be part of.
0: It's just crazy that like the amount of steps to just get on the show is just, I mean, they're trying to find the best of the best. And it's kind of, I wish they kind of showed like the trial part and just so for us as, viewers that we could see like, mm. what do these people go through instead of okay we hear we know now their story but we want to know well, what how did they get there in a way yeah, when, yeah you first, when you were about to take your episode what was going through your mind during that time
1: I mean there was a lot of excitement a lot of adrenaline the episode the way that they structured that first season and probably the second to memory is that, I'm trying to remember, they, I think there were 24 athletes that they had, 12 men and, and 12 women. And they would set up one obstacle and anyone that was competing in that obstacle in the first round of competition from any episode competed on it. So you'd have eight rounds of this obstacle. So the first one was a gauntlet. And I remember I was waiting on set, to, or yeah, they, we were shooting in, in LA, which was just exciting in and of itself. My dad and my brother were in the audience, so that was really cool. And of course, the hosts were Hulk Hogan and Layla Ali. And so Layla Ali is doing this interview with me on the set, like staring down the gauntlet, and she, I'm like, it's just all very surreal. There's a bunch of lights, a bunch of camera. I'm thinking about what my face is doing. <laughs> you know, my brother and my dad are watching, and then they bring out the gladiators, and the first thing the gladiators come out, they're doing their all showboating, flexing and stuff. And then some director, Calls cut and like say, okay go back go back to one let's let's bring them out the gladiators again because they didn't like the first take then <laughs> they bring out the gladiators again and they're like Rrr. and I'll be honest I think the second time the gladiators came out I'm like oh God, it this is just a little bit of show business here so I'm not I'm scared about these guys because they can turn it off like that and turn it back on just the yep. like camera it's still very intimidating because the gauntlet was the the event that terrified me the most because it's like it's a very small space. They got these big pads. They're huge dudes. And they're just trying to, just trying to get in your way. And once your momentum is stopped in that small area, it's hard to accelerate again. But yeah, all, all the emotions, it was, it was excitement. There was adrenaline. It was, like I wanted to do well. I was super hyped up and (laughs) I really was, I was thinking about like, what, is my face doing something weird? (laughs) Like I could, I didn't know how to listen to Layla Ali and be like, be normal. Be normal. Like, I don't know. It's weird. But it's probably the actor in you.
0: It's like, hold on.
1: It probably, oh, it was, add, yeah. Add the facial cues. <laughs> What's my motivation? Yeah.
0: Where's my script? Hold on.
1: Yeah, I didn't but, know. Can I get some dialogue? Yeah. But, would no, you it, was, size, it was a lot of
0: fun. Would you say your size was a disadvantage? Because I think from, I think I, well, I, I have to do my research. So the episode said 5'10 sure. at
1: the time. And all those guys. Yeah, and still 5'10". <laughs> right? And At the gliders were like, yeah, and then I I hit, tall. Then I hit my 27-year-old growth spurt, and now I'm 6'7". Hey, you never know these days. That'd be awesome. I always wanted to be a six-footer. Never made it. Die. Never broke the six-foot barrier.
0: Yeah, I can say the same thing. I'm about the same height as you, so I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Was the size hard in some of those events? Because you said like joust and or mm-hmm. you were very fast on the wall, like you were climbing up.
1: That yeah. Mountain. Well, so I one of my one of my jobs during college was I worked at a Lifetime Fitness in oh. in the Chicago suburbs, and they in in the rock climbing facility, and we had five different auto belays, So You could just clip in and climb the thing as fast as you could, and so if we were setting up or like it was a, a light evening or something, it was just no some downtime. I would just clip in and try to climb these routes as fast as I could. So when I got on set and that was one of the events, I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> I can do that pretty easily. Plus the holds were huge, you know, just like huge jugs all the way up. But yes, speed was an advantage in certain events like that one and a, and my size was a disadvantage in the joust, for sure. Because, I mean, even the second time I, jo- second time I jousted Titan, there wasn't even, like it wasn't even hitting so much as he just kind of shoved it, it was like a slow sort of push. Yeah. Like, okay, I have all the momentum on my side here, because he was at least 70 pounds heavier than me. And shoved me right in the water, it wasn't even fair. It was so silly and embarrassing. <laughs> well, it's if, embarrassing to lose that fast. Look at like
0: the older season or like from the 90s. It, c- the contenders kind of had a chance. It just seems like the revival. Contenders didn't really have a chance in the joust. It's kind of like Interesting. one eight, yeah, and they're gone and it's kind of like okay, is this like now it just kind of seems like it's a movie now and we're waiting for like the underdogs to take them off but did it feel like that? Like you guys had a chance or it's just whatever happened, happened?
1: I, I played to my strengths on the show. So like, I knew that I, it's, as long as the events that I was given corresponded to my strengths, I would take full advantage. Okay. So I think the most, the, probably the, the event that was sort of the most even territory was the hang tough mm-hmm. where you're on this grid of, of gymnastics rings. You're swinging and trying to make your way from platform to platform. Cause size, it can work to your advantage with reach, I suppose, but I don't know. There's nothing really about quickness other than like, cause momentum is, is it, is heavily involved and in the strategy of that. So I think that was sort of an even playing field as far as events go, but I, I had a strategy in mind and I had learned how to move laterally in addition to going forward on the rings pretty quickly. And that one was a lot of fun. My favorite, probably by far. Um, I think what other events? Oh, and then Powerball was speed was useful, but once Powerball is the one where you had like you you try to take these balls, uh, like dodgeball-sized balls, and put them in little canisters along the way. So speed was useful, but once they wrapped you up, it was scary. Like if they catch you, they tackle you. Yeah. And I mean, really, all they need to do is get the ball out of your hand. But if they catch you, they're they're gonna throw you to the ground. And I remember that first week, one of the competitors. He got tackled during powerball and it broke his tibia and his fibia, because the dude just landed on top of him, 200 and like 70 pounds on his leg, snapped his tibia and fibia, and he was out of the competition. And so that was in my head while we were going through it as well, to the point where I'm like, just I'm, I'm gonna stay light on my feet, and if I get wrapped up, I'm going down. Like don't fight it. There's no use in, for me, mm-hmm. in fighting. In any, it's a sixty-second competition. Most of the, most of them are pyramid included, like where you run up the pyramid and try to make it to the top. Like if you get wrapped up, just go down. Because if you fight it, that's when you're going to hurt yourself. And I didn't want to put my tibia and fibia against someone who was two hundred eighty pounds. I just didn't. <laughs> like I don't, I don't need to learn that about myself. I will go to the ground. I'll get another ball and I'll try again.
0: Did you like how they added water into the mix? Like falling water. I did. Into water?
1: Yeah I mean it's only for camera you know it looked really cool and the like in in the Eliminator that final obstacle course where you went over the first wall and then you jump underwater and they had flames mm-hmm. you know across the water and you're swimming underneath it it just looked it just looked cool and I'm all I'm all for things looking cool on camera and that did So yeah I was a fan.
0: So I did an interview with a an old gladiator in, from the UK named Ace. And he said the same thing. The water was much better falling in than crash pads because water oh. just goes straight in. Crash pads, like you said, don't fight it. You can hurt yourself falling on the pads. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting because some people like it, but the flames were cool. I will say that the, the whole look of it was cool. It kind of looked like a movie sets in a way. For us. Yeah. So that was cool. When you found out that the winner was going to be a gladiator next season, what was your thoughts on that?
1: Well, Did they they, they were they were very careful in the wording throughout season 1 that it's the chance to become an American gladiator. So oh. when they finally had there was no there was no real certainty at least for me until they officially cast the American two uh, season two gladiators because, and we were part of that whole process too. They had, they, again, months, maybe three months after real short, maybe even two months, two, three months after we had filmed season one, because it was a hit, we immediately got back to filming season two and they flew us out to LA and put us up in a hotel. And we went through sort of tryouts together, which consisted just mainly being on set and, okay, you're going to climb the wall today as fast as you can. You're going to do vertigo and see how you do. We're going to time each other. And they set up a makeshift hang tough and you're going to go against each other. And there were physical exams, medical, all that. And ultimately, I don't know, character tests, I'm sure. Because there were some athletes, uh, prospective gladiators from that week that did not get cast. And so I was I was tentative. I didn't want to, I, yeah, I didn't want to get excited about it if it wasn't going to happen. But once I did find out that they were, having me on the show I thought yeah like it was it was incredibly exciting because now I got to be on both sides of it and and this this dream and this this momentum of being on television which is something again like we talked about I always wanted to to be like since high school even in middle school like the acting thing and then once I got an agent I'm like how can I do this all the time because it's so much fun and it just so happened that because I had a background in athleticism in addition to the, the acting and the auditioning that I had been in the practice of doing in Chicago, that sort of my, my interests met in such a way where I could do something that I truly enjoyed on a platform that really excited me. And to have that opportunity to do it a second season in a different role was awesome. What events from this, because second season
0: they added a lot more events. What events were your favorite
1: to do? Well, they didn't put me on a lot of them because they, they like, again, camera, they liked the camera look and of, you know, the David versus the David versus Goliath. Right. And some of the, some of the cont- contestants were uh, taller than me, bigger than me. So they weren't interested in putting me on the joust because it's not impressive. They can, if the gladiator they're going up against is like, three inches shorter and gets knocked into the water. That's just not the television they're going for. So they put me on the wall a lot, which was a lot of fun. And there was one event. What was it called? I only got to do it once. I think it was called Rocket Ball, actually. Where they had you connected to this hydraulic system and you just hit a button and it would just yank you 30 feet into the sky. And the contestants were trying to take the ball and make a basket and we were trying to block it. And well, I only got to do that event once and I never timed it right to actually block my contestants. <laughs> like I just whiffed every single time. It was still so much fun to hit a button and get yanked thirty feet into the air. And yeah. Oh I that was that was probably the most the uh, the most fun.
0: When I saw Rocket Ball, it kind of reminded me of you remember the event Swing Shot where they were on the bungee cord? Uh uh-huh. is Swing Shot Swing shot, they were on in the 90s. They were on bungee cords and they jumped off to the ground and then shoots them up and they try to block them from grabbing the balls before they headed. Oh, back. yeah, it reminded me of that. But it's like what they didn't want to put the uh Matt Morgan, the beast that who's seven feet tall on rocketball or any of those events, or like because like you said, they didn't want to put you on
1: powerball because they wanted to put the big guys on, yeah, right. It's kind of like I also a, don't know. I don't know what the what the weight limit was on that uh, true. system. <laughs> true like truly, I mean yanking hundred and sixty pounds up into the into the air is a lot easier than three hundred. So yeah. that it's possible that, that was just that was a logistical concern, but I don't know.
0: Is there any gladiators or anyone from the show that you still talk to today? Or who are you close with um, at that time?
1: Occasionally occasionally Hollywood Yates uh, Wolf, he goes by Don Yates Hollywood. Um, he actually, this is years ago, before I moved to moved back to California, which is where I am now. He had a rodeo. He was still doing some uh, bull. He calls it bullfighting, like he's like rodeo clown. Mm-hmm. So when the when the cowboys fall off the the bull, he distracts the bull so that the cowboys can go to safety. And he had one of those events in Chicago, and I got to go see him do his thing crazy absolutely nuts to put yourself between (laughs) yeah i i mean another human obviously there's there's some valor in it obviously um to try to protect the the athlete from who just fell but man i don't i don't zero interest in doing that in my own life (laughs) he said i think he's only been gored once but he got gored he got gored once like horn through his side and medical consequences you know like severe stuff but that was fun to, to watch him do his thing and i met up with him once maybe a, a few years ago we've 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 sort of fallen off but that's who i was probably closest to for a time
0: looking back at your time on american gliders did you gain a skill or something you like we talk about learning about yourself in a way
1: Oh, did I gain a skill? Uh, I might've lost the skill. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cause what, how do I say this? It felt like, in a lot of ways it felt like the hard work and the obstacles had learned the lessons necessary. And now I was finally at a point of where I could enjoy and appreciate what had been, you know? Because it was hard for, for me to get my college degree and it was hard to work through the, the grief of my mom. And even auditioning in Chicago for projects and, and missing out on them is hard because you get that level of all those no's and all that rejection. And yeah, navigating what what the future and what that looks like. And so to finally go through all these steps, like we talked about before, to get on the show, to win the show, to become a gladiator, there was so much momentum that I thought, man, like, finally, finally we're here and I can, I want to say, like, relax a little bit, you know, or just appreciate it. And then ultimately there wasn't a a season three and the, the ratings dropped and the the show got canceled. So now I'm back to, well, now what do I do? Do Mm -hmm. I put gladiator on my resume? Do I try to, do I go back to Hollister or what, what's the next move here? And I think I, I, let I think I let up a little bit, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I can see how that, that mindset at the time did not serve me in, in further planning for the future.
0: So a lot of the glider's revivals didn't really last that long. Some countries, it lasted <laughs> two seasons, one season. Um, in your opinion, why do you think the ratings were as low as, as it was?
1: Uh I in my opinion. Well, in my opinion, first season aired during the writer's strike, so there was very little competition. Mm -hmm. And then second season, we they they brought it back super fast. They brought it back like three months later. So and I think they theoretically that was the right move because we have this is popular this is popular right now, it's got momentum, we need to we need to move forward with it. And like American Ninja Warrior does now, it's a great summer program. And so you can look forward to it June through you know, early September, end of August or whatever. And that's your summer program that you can watch with your family. And I think they wanted that. And they, it really should have worked. But because I think the television cycle was a little strange at the time, we premiered against, once the writer's strike ended, we were going up against scripted programming that had been off air for months. And people were watching the the series or season finales of these shows that they love. And they're not gonna, they're not, they're just not gonna skip Bones season finale or whatever for, for Gladiators. They're just not going to. On top of the fact that, at least from a couple of people that I saw after season two aired, they're like, hey, nice job on season one. When's season two coming out? And I'm like, "That it already happened, friend. I don't know how you missed it. Wow. Absolutely aired, and so I don't. I don't know. So I, I think they made the right call. I think they went for it. I think maybe if we had waited at least three more weeks to to hype it up a little bit more and let these other series that had been delayed end, that we would have been more successful. They also changed the format to maybe a ninety-minute or two-hour format instead of an hour. Like they really just milked it for all it was worth. Again, they did the best that they could. Uh, but those are my and those are only my theories. But there you have it.
0: So they show repeats of it all the time on Pluto TV. Do you happen to watch yourself sometimes?
1: <laughs> I don't even know what Pluto TV is.
0: So it's a it's an app, and they it's like
1: free, oh, it's a free
0: TV app. I feel like I'm sponsoring them right now. Yeah, them. <laughs> so, <laughs> this episode on this episode Pluto, Pluto TV. So it, they have a bunch of channels, and one of the channels is American Gliders. So they show every season back to back to back, and I think it's been I've had the app for like six months and I think they they just keep repeating each season and so they go through all yeah. the 90s and then they do the revival so now I mean
1: it's pr- it's probably really cheap it, it's free it's yeah <laughs> I, well, it's, I mean for them to, to oh, host yeah. the content I'm not getting residuals anymore that's for sure
0: do you happen to watch yourself on the show or you're like that was my past
1: I don't watch it uh it's it gets a little bit stranger i think every year not that i watch it every year but as i i look back on it now and it's been 10 11 12 years years, i I just i mean i look so young and i don't i it's not embarrassing for me it was a really fun time in my life i don't know I, i don't know how to answer that but i don't watch it very often but it's not because I dislike watching it. Um, yeah, it's just not it's not really on my, my radar at that point. I suppose in a lot of ways, I like to, yeah, I talk about it more than I watch it. I don't know. I don't know to answer that.
0: So after Gladiators, when did American Ninja Warrior come around for you?
1: Uh, about two two three years later, I think. And that was, I, honestly, I found myself back working at a, working a desk job again because one of the guys I went to high school with he had started a web development company needed a project manager and again like it's i if i could have if i could have found a way to ke- keep doing what i was doing i i would have but the i mean the the economy tanked right we're in the middle of the the recession and it was hard. It was hard to find work at the time and Gladiators was gone. And I didn't know how to, I, so now you find yourself in a position. Well, well you got to make money in order to continue to pursue your passion. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I really appreciated my buddy's creativity and his uh, ambition to start a company of his own. And I liked, I just liked him personally. So uh, this is a good fit for me to just be in the suburbs back, back in Chicago and, Contribute to a company, get a paycheck, and figure out what the next moves are. And one of the developers for that for that company was the one that said, you know, you should really audition for American Ninja Warrior and show me some clips. And uh, I looked up, it was on G4 at the time, so I went to G4 TV's website, and they were, applications were, were currently open. Like, it was this two-week window or whatever, and I had found it right in time. So I just sent them a reel that was mostly me as a gladiator. Because <laughs> I thought, you can't say no to this story. Am I, like, am I- <laughs> It's free promo for them. You want, yeah, you want, an, you want a former gladiator on your show, don't you? That's basically what I did. And I, I got to compete on that show as well, which was a lot of fun and a lot harder than gladiator. A lot harder. I can believe that one. Yeah.
0: What was the most challenging obstacle you faced?
1: On that show, on Ninja,
0: on Ninja Warrior.
1: Hmm. Well, I fell on the salmon ladder. Although I don't feel like that should be the most challenging, because I I've completed this I've completed many a salmon ladder in my day, so I don't want to call it the most challenging. That first season, season two that I competed, they were still taking us to Japan. So Mm -hmm. I qualified top ten. We went to Japan, and I fell on the third obstacle in stage one, which was the rolling escargot where you sort of, like, plaster yourself up against this wheel that rolls okay. down a platform. And season six, they brought, they, they created that obstacle in Venice Beach, and I succeeded on that one. But that was a lot more reasonable. Like, the, the momentum that, of the, the centripetal force, the momentum that was just, like, trying to pull you off that wheel on the Japanese version was ridiculous. Like, it was like, boom, 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 boom. And I desperately tried to hold on and I just couldn't. And it was, uh, oh, so disappointing. So disappointing to fly to the other side of the country to think that you're gonna do so well on this course and then to fall so early on in the first stage. (laughs) Especially for something you couldn't even train for. Yeah.
0: What was the mindset? So how, when you didn't complete an obstacle and it it was over for that run, how did you get your mindset going to be able to stay focused and try for next year or continue on training for it
1: um well at the time it was just fun it was a lot of fun and i yeah i had, again my <laughs> my my worldview has has been challenged and upended multiple times throughout my life but at that time um i had been praying pretty hard for an opportunity to like, tr- like, I'm like, just, I just want something to train for. I want something to train for that can give me a focus and get me excited about life again and have me chasing something, I guess bigger than myself that aligned with not only my passion, but what I was good at. Mm-hmm. And that came along. And uh, by qualifying top 10, that second season, they wanted me back for a third season and then the fourth season. And I thought, yeah, this is, this is it. Like, this is something I can train for that I'm excited about. Meeting new people, learning about what parkour was and free running for the first time. And then I started, got, I got to train at the Tempest Academies so that were now opening up for the first time in Los Angeles and met a whole new group of people that were training a, a different way that I had ever experienced before. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I got, it was easy to get excited about it. Um, cause I thought, I can keep doing better. I can keep getting better at this thing. And this is exactly what I've been looking for and praying for. And then season five, that's when I was asked to host a web series on how to train to be an interwarrior. And that was again, sort of this reminder of like, Oh yeah, that's right. I love being on camera. I just do. This has been part of my narrative for a long time. And I've just had a difficult time finding ways to, to make it sustainable long-term. And so that was, much like when my friend Becca had invited me to audition for that co commercial all those years ago, it was another reminder of like what, what I originally had in mind for, for my life and what I truly enjoyed. And that was, a, that was cool. That was a really fun experience.
0: So Ninja Word gave you kind of the opportunity to become like a content creator with your YouTube and the web series where you were being around a lot of people who were on the show Was that a great opportunity for you, where you got to learn from the people who became experts and who are big names on
1: Ninja Warrior now? Oh, sorry, ask the question again. I wanna make sure I understand it correctly. So Ninja Warrior gave you the opportunity
0: and you started, you had a YouTube channel where you were working with other fellow warriors was that the opportunity you were looking for? Like with the web series that they gave you the opportunity to do and you would be able to make content?
1: Yeah. Well, Ninja Quickie came out of, I've been working for a, so again, much like my entire (laughs) professional career, if we want to call it that, I've had to find ways to make money to make ends meet. And I was working for a nutrition company, Quest Nutrition at the time. And they were very much about, um, finding ways to create opportunity for yourself, to do what you love. And I was highly encouraged by a few of the people that I was working with at the time for me to create a series that I could, I didn't have to be reliant on somebody else to say, here's, here's money, here's the opportunity and the platform, go, go do what you want to do. So I created Ninja Queen because I found I could do it very quickly. (laughs) Uh, I Yeah. I found that I could film like multiple episodes in one day and through uh, learning to edit on Premiere Pro, I could edit all the episodes myself. I could host them all myself. And I had friends that were willing to help me film them. And a lot of the athletes early on wanted to be a part of that. And for me, it became the strategy became like, I want, I want to host this thing to prove or at least showcase have something that I can point to, to say, he's not only an athlete, not only an athlete folks, like he's a personality and he can host, his own program or hold his own in an interview with somebody so that it wasn't a question or if somebody, if I, if the opportunity basically, so I'd be ready for the opportunity in the future. Mm-hmm. And I kept in touch with American Ninja Warrior producers. And that's how that eventually led to uh, working on to be the sideline reporter of Spartan season one, because the producers gave gave me a shot because I had kept in touch with them and kept following up and creating my own content because I wanted to, to get back on on camera on the national stage and have an opportunity to showcase my skill set there.
0: So talk about those TV um, opportunities you took. The Spartan, right, or Spartan, and then Battle Frog. I think it was the Battle. Yeah,
1: Battle Frog.
0: I remember, actually I did watch it when it come on, but I can't tell you what happened on it now because it was I don't even know if it's been a long time since I've seen it. <laughs> it's so sad because it's not it's not around nowadays. So. I think for people, it's like you watched it and go on YouTube and watch it again.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, much like, much like uh, Spartan Ultimate Team Challenge, where they modified the Mud Run brand to be more, to, to be more of a televised game show obstacle competition show uh, structure. They Battle Frog was a Mud Run that existed that you could sign up for and just go to a Battle Frog race. And so these two guys, that I, two producers that, that I ended up working with in the future, um, they had partnered up with Battle Frog, created a new competition model and format, and basically branded it Battle Frog, and were able to air that on ESPN. So that was it. Was a fun. I thought it was a fun series because there were co like co-ed teams of four people charging down like a I think it was a 400 meter course. Of, I don't even, I don't remember maybe even eight sixteen obstacles or something like that, and it was relay race style, so each person would handle a certain leg of the course, and it was yeah very much military esque, and because I, I want to say Battle Frog the race series at the time had a relationship with the Navy SEALs or something like that, so we had some military that were a part of it, and I got to do the the commentary with this guy Ron Pitts and he was he was an absolute pro and he was sort of like the straight man and I got to be the color guy so I just got to you know have more fun with it and just be over the top and enthusiastic and call it how I see it and he was it was it was a lot of fun to work with him because he was so so professional and on point with everything I learned a lot sitting next to him because it's one thing to just let loose and fly off the handle and be the the personality and it's another to to lead the show the way that he did so that was really fun
0: when you were and doing, then, when you were doing those jobs did you want to get out onto that course and like be an athlete
1: and all that or you were oh, like being in the booth i was content i mean granted once the competition was over they they're like, hey, you know, give, go give it a shot. And so we ended up running. I, I did the last leg of the course, which was the only one that looked fun to me personally because it had the, the giant wall and the slide into the, to the water and the rings. And I'm like, yeah, I can do this pretty fast. So <laughs> I don't know if that's on my social media somewhere or maybe just on my phone. But I did try it a little bit. But no, I, don't, I, I didn't miss it. I, don't, I didn't miss being an athlete because I just, I enjoy, I feel like I had had so many amazing experiences not only two seasons of Gladiators, five seasons of American Ninja Warrior, Team Ninja Warrior, competing in Japan and China. I'm like, I've had a lot of fun with this. And what I, what I want to be and where I want my life and profession to go is in this direction, which is to be on camera, um, just as the personality. And so, yeah, no, didn't miss it. No, not really.
0: So when you look back at your career, that you've had this image of being rocket and are you trying to kind of put that behind you and trying to say hey i'm evan dollard this is who i am this is the experience <laughs> he has. not i was a gladiator from back then
1: uh well or are you I used
0: to, to be to both and use it to your advantage
1: Here's the thing, if I can use it to my advantage, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know that it's going to be that valuable in the future because as popular basically I I mean American Ninja Warrior really took off after season 6. And like even up until season 4 people were asked I would say, "Hey, I'm doing American Ninja Warrior." And they thought it was like cage fighting because it just <laughs> hadn't hit the popular psyche idea. Like it just wasn't part of the yeah, conversation cultural conversation so they hear ninja and warrior and they think oh like is it like the ufc like, oh what no oh i me i'm not gonna risk this face but that's the terrible. actor in you. that's the actor <laughs> yeah. my stunt but, double <laughs> <laughs> well someone else is gonna come in have to come in here and take <laughs> this punch uh not this guy um but yeah no so it really took off and only there was, I mean, then, then you had sort of the rise of what you alluded to earlier, where those that were lifers in Ninja Warrior, like Drew Dreschel or Flip Rodriguez or uh, fill in the blank, even Grant McCartney came out of the scene then, Jesse Graf, like all these people who I had competed with for several seasons and were just like doing our thing. All of a sudden, it becomes this phenomenon and this sport. And now Ninja gyms are popping up all over the place. I mean, I remember when I showed up season two in Venice for the first time, and they asked me if I was a CrossFit athlete or a parkour uh, or a free runner. And I I didn't know what either of those were. And my first time trying a salmon ladder was on the course because you couldn't find one anywhere. But now it's just – it's a sport. And an international one at that. And it's fun to see – I had the chance to do commentary with Grant McCartney uh, for UNX earlier, at the end of last year, I don't know if you saw any of that that series at all, uh, we filmed at Ultimate Ninjas in Naperville in Illinois, and had a great production team behind us, and it was so much fun to do the commentary with Grant McCartney, but these athletes have, oh man, they're, truly, this is how they train now. They train to be ninja athletes. They don't, they don't, they're not trying to make the basketball team, they're not trying to be the ninja yeah. team occur. They're like, no, I'm going to train this way because I have a gym that I can go to however many times a week and build up the skill in this area, which I find fascinating. And it just wasn't the case when I got started in there. So I don't know. I, I went on a, a bit of a tangent there. To answer your question, <laughs> No, it's fine. Something, something about being rocket. Uh, I don't think people recognize it as much. And it's it's awesome and it's really flattering for me because again, I've had such fun experiences that uh, I'm really appreciative of those, those experiences, those opportunities that I've had. And if someone else can find a way to appreciate them as, as well, then it it really makes, it really makes me smile. It puts a smile on my face. It does. So <laughs> if I can use it to my advantage, I will. But yeah, if I just need to be Evan Dollars from here on out and nobody remembers that I was ever the rocket, that's fine. too. I think like
0: even before, this interview I think if anytime I've heard your name the first thing that comes to my mind is Rocket because that's like I'm a Gladiator fan so that's the first thing but listening yeah. to the story and stuff it's kind of like I'm really getting to know the person that's Evan and I like that because everyone has a story everyone mm. differently from what they've gone through and you mentioned how when you started in American Ninja Warrior parkour wasn't a huge thing in the world and now it's like Gyms. People are sending in videos. People are taping themselves doing it. Do you sometimes go to those gyms nowadays and try free running and all that, or you're kind of like, that's not my thing?
1: Well, <laughs> I've as I've gotten a little bit older. Um, well, not only is it not a skill that I need as readily, like because I'm not training for, I, I don't need to be ninja ready for the next season, right? So I don't have to, I don't have to train that way. And I've enjoyed, I enjoyed for a time, especially at Tempest Academy, uh, South Bay and the one that's up in Northridge here in Los Angeles, learning new skills safely in an indoor environment and being able to test myself in that way. But it is still, it can be hard on the body. And as I've gotten older, I'm like, well, maybe I'll just, to the pull-ups and do my sprints and and some plyometric exercises and all that and just make sure that i'm functional and still explosive and that my body is responsive but i don't need to push myself in that way anymore and i try to find i don't know those those levels i i don't want to it sounds apathetic or i don't know how it sounds but you need to it's just not i'm not looking for wins in my life physically in that way anymore so, I have, I spent been a while, it's actually been a while since I've been to a, a free-running gym, but, I don't know, even when I was at Ultimate Ninja's Naperville shooting the UN, UNX series, we, we did some, Grant and I each did some obstacle overviews, so we had to do them for camera, but I wanted to do anyway, I'd just like to see if I still, Yeah. Like you see an obstacle and I'm like, ah, it's, that, that part is still there, I don't need to be part of the competition and try to win and try to podium and all that, but that looks at something and thinks, yeah, I got to try that. I got to see if I can do it.
0: <laughs> so will we ever see you on
1: an American Ninja Warrior again? I've gotten that question a few times. And my answer right now is that if, if Team Ninja Warrior, which became American Ninja Warrior, Ninja versus Ninja, I think is the, the title that it last was. I think it was on USA Network. Is that were ever to come back, And if I were able to be on a team with my brother, Ryan, uh, then I would do it. I I would spend a couple months in Chicago. He and I would train. We'd pick a ninja gym. We'd train together. And we'd go and compete and see how well we could do side by side. Because I think think we'd both get a lot out of that. And if nothing else, be a fun memory to make with him. So probably not on regular American Ninja Warrior, but – if there was ever an opportunity to team Ninja Warrior with my brother. That would be. I would. I'd have to take it. I'd have to take it. And I'd have some catching up to do. <laughs> I, I really would.
0: So, which brother's the best at completing a course? You or your brother?
1: Because uh, uh,
0: there was some videos that you did post with you and your brother versus another. Yes. Video, so
1: we did two Ninja Quickie videos. I'm. I'm probably. I'm probably this much better. But that's mainly experience because. However, however many seasons I've done in ninja and parkour gyms that I've been to and obstacles that I've been on, I've just had, I've just had more experience, but he truly is as close to a genetic equal as you can get, like without being a twin. <laughs> and we've, we, we have a really playful competitiveness and very supportive of one another. And I, I I don't even want to be, but I, I just, I know that if he competed as much as I competed, he would be on the same exact level if not better than me
0: has it been a great bonding time for you guys were you guys always close or was this something that brought you guys even closer because it's something that
1: you guys could be both passionate about me and my brother yeah well it's uh family has always been really important and for anyone that's been through a loss like the loss of a parent loss of a mother it's It put strain on the relationships and it has a way of it can draw people together or it can pull people apart and sometimes it does both and so there have been seasons in life where my brother and i have been closer than others um but ultimately like gladiator was one that really brought the family together especially being able to fly them out to la and have them right up next to the gauntlet cheering me on and have their support he was he he told me during that time to trust my athleticism. that was sort of his encouragement to me, and I really held on to that. It was just such a simple thing to think about because when all the nerves and and the camera and everything else is going on, just just trust your athleticism like you know you have the skill set, Ignore everything else, and just execute and now doing a ninja quickies together and being on the show and um uh, yeah, coming out to L.A. was tough. I think we we separated a little bit because he was starting a family. He's got four kids. Wow. And that takes a, a huge amount of energy and attention to that. And I was out in L.A. figuring things out, as I do. And now we're, again, the, the, doing the Ninja Quickies and competing together was a fun opportunity to bring us like closer together and have a reason to spend that time competing with one another. So we'll we'll always love each other. And I hope that the, the level of closeness that we share now, which has uh, been consistent for the last few years, is just continues on.
0: So what does the future look like for you, professionally or personally?
1: <laughs> yeah, great question. <laughs> well, certainly I think a lot of people are asking similar questions right now. Because of, it's like, well, there's so much uncertainty There are very few people that saw a global pandemic coming. Very few. And how are we going to react to it? How are we going to respond to that? And and people have been out of work. And certainly in in the industry, the entertainment industry, a lot of production, if not all production, just shut down. And they're finding ways to to open that back up. But there's been relatively few opportunities, on-camera opportunities, at least for me, auditions coming in in the last six months or so. And we hope that unx gets another season because that was a lot of fun and i'd love to continue to do the commentary for that but what i mean what does that look like practically do we have the same i mean it necessitates sort of a the budget that can substantiate creating a bubble and flying people in and keeping them in quarantine and making sure that everybody is safe so you definitely have to have money behind it you know there's a lot of unknowns a lot of unknowns i'd love to keep doing commentary because it's one of my favorite things to do is to connect the audience to the action based on my experience as an athlete. And it's just fun for me me to be on camera. And also storytelling, when I looked back at my career, storytelling has been the common denominator, whether it was acting or even telling my own story on American Ninja Warrior. And I've been doing a lot of writing as well and trying to uh, pitch various scripts that I've come up with, most of them non, uh, most of them scripted, like 30 minute single camera comedies and some comedy features. And that's a whole new world that I'm trying to navigate and align with various producers and try to get into rooms to pitch what the projects are. But that's going to be, that's going to be slow for a time. And everybody sort of recognizes that. And when it comes back, it's going to be very competitive. Mm-hmm. So the storytelling doesn't stop. Uh, the, the hustle doesn't end. It's just a matter of how do we piece this all together, find a way to, to make a living. And ultimately what I, my sort of working mission statement at the moment for my personal and professional life is to add heart and humor to the cultural conversation through really good stories. And that can be someone else's really good story if with me as a producer. That can be, you know, highlighting what I've overcome in my own life, if that's something that's useful, or doing maybe even doing a podcast. I don't know. But... I'm going to continue to write, I'm going to continue to audition, continue to create and look for opportunities my own and see where things go.
0: I will say the
1: pandemic
0: has played a huge part in my life. Um, I was furloughed for a couple months and oh man yeah and when I got the news I was like fighting trying to be like whoa why me? Like why do I have to go through this? And so yeah. it a great opportunity to do like a self-reflection a way. And some of my friends and I, we wanted to do a podcast on like sports and going and talking about that. But I'm like, it's kind of hard to get everyone together. And I'm like, I want to do something where I can talk about people's stories and incorporate my story in a way. And I have no regrets making this because it's been honestly the best experience ever. Never thought I'd be talking to people that I get to talk to, like yourself. Because I've seen you on TV, I've seen you on different shows, and when I get those emails and I get those responses where people want to come on the show and talk, because I also view myself, I'm just a guy in Missouri who doesn't have a big name in the world, but it's all about being passionate about what you're doing. And Mm. I always use the whole line, our mission is real life stories, real motivations to inspire all generations. Everyone's got hmm. a story and can make an impact in someone's life. If it impacts one person, to me, I did something right. So being able to tell these stories and even learning. I mean, I learned something about myself in every interview I do. So I was, I'm was i grateful That's awesome. for this opportunity. And I can't wait to see what else I do. And I hope you do a podcast. I think you would be great at speaking. I mean, you like to storytell in a way. So, yeah. I mean, you're like me, we we both can talk for hours. I mean, that's, (laughs) this could be like three hours long and I'd be fine with that. (laughs) So in the entertainment industry that you're in, what tips or advice would you give someone that wants to be in that industry to rise to the challenge?
1: Ooh. Well, as we were just talking about, it's, it's a really, it's a tough time. It's a tough time. I think now is the time to think about Developing your skill and brainstorming ways to create opportunities for yourself. I think that's it's easier said than done, too, because even still, I want somebody like the call that I got that I could be the sideline reporter for Spartan Ultimate Team Challenge. I thought, yes, this is called this is like basically Hollywood calling. This is all <laughs> the hard work paying off, and somebody. I can just show up on set and do what I do and and focus on that and get better at that skill. And then that only went one, for me, it only went one season and now it's like back to the drawing board and figuring out what to do. So it's critical that you continue to develop your skill and find opportunities and create opportunities for yourself. And part of my struggle over the last, well, probably three and a half, four years is, wondering where my place was within obstacle competition, the obstacle competition space, because I feel like doing the sideline reporting for a national show is like as, as big as I could have gotten without, like by, by hustling on my own, because I cannot, although I have, I try to develop, I, I was in working with the Battle Frog producers actually to create our version of an obstacle competition show. And we had a really good team put together. We had some awesome meetings and some fun momentum that was part of that a few years ago. And then ultimately uh, it didn't pan out because it, t- it, it would take a network that has that distribution to bring and, and access to the advertising dollars in order to create the show at the scale that we wanted to. So take the I guess if I could simplify what I'm trying to say is like take the big swings, but find, find those pitches that you know that you can hit as well, if I can use the, the analogy. Because, I mean, if we had sold that show, it would have been a game changer. And I could have been a sideline reporter for a, my own show that was I was creator on. Mm-hmm. And there's still a chance that those things could happen. I pitched another obstacle competition show during the quarantine. And again, they didn't pick it up. But I created it. Sat down, brainstormed, built a pitch deck, did whatever I could, used the contacts that I had to reach out and, and try to generate a sale that way and it's a big swing it's a big swing to try to get a show on network television and a lot of times it necessitates celebrity at this point so aim aim high man but also focus on what you invest focus on and invest in what you can control and and do both
0: have you ever thought about and this is only a question you kind of get involved in that ops of course have you ever thought about like working with a company that does obstacle course runs but not it's not on tv or are you kind
1: of wanting to be Mm. on
0: that tv side because that's your niche
1: well tv is a lot of fun (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot of fun i do love it um and a lot of the obstacle competitions like spartan or tough mudder they're not really my scene because they're mostly running it's like a lot of running if you're not a good runner it doesn't matter if you're the best person on the obstacles because the mile you have to cover between that obstacle and the next one if you can't get there i'm
0: dead i really like yeah someone give me a drink please
1: (laughs) (laughs) so that wasn't i don't know those mud runs in particular wasn't really a good fit for me not only because it wasn't on television but also because it doesn't align with with what is ultimately just real short course obstacle racing Mm -hmm. that you find on gladiators and American Ninja warrior. So that's why UNX is such a cool opportunity because Ethan Swanson was one integral in creating that project and bringing it to life. And this is what he's done. And he's been a part of those gyms for a long time. He's been in the Ninja warrior community for a long time. And he was wanting to create a series that took the athletes as seriously as he took the sport and, did a, great, did a great job with it, honestly. So hopefully that'll be an opportunity in the future.
0: And I, I totally understand where you're coming from. with you wanna, You're passionate about some, one area and you want to be able to make it happen. And I think, I think once we get through this pandemic situation, I think a lot more things may be opening up and maybe they're like, okay, we see how all these shows are doing because it's kind of like the show Ultimate Tag that's out right now. It's kind of,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: that show blows my mind. I'm like, they took a fun simple concept and they made this like huge thing with it. But I get addicted to it, I watch it every night or every week that it's on.
1: Hilarious! There's a lot of Tempest guys on that show, like Jesse LaFlair. He's done a couple Ninja Quickies.
0: I mean, I actually, he wants to be on the show. The sh- my show so we're still trying to work out the details because he's so busy like he's a busy person well
1: makes, I, sense. makes sense makes sense very I'm, I'm talented
0: motivated to get him i'm gonna take it there's gonna there's gotta be a time for all of us where like it'll work. yeah never say never the, <laughs> final, the final question i have for you based on your journey and someone that's listening to this interview what tips or advice would you give them to rise to the challenge, to overcome obstacles, and accomplish their
1: goals? Hmm. Well, it really does—it really does come down to mindset, I think, which I grapple with continually. So, a good starting point is the book *Mindset* by Carol Dweck, which talks about the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and how you can actively pursue having a growth mindset. And really that just helps you to find and creative solutions to problems. Because the truth of the matter is, at least in my experience, some people hit it big and they have, and, and the obstacles are few and far between. That is very rare. Mm-hmm. You are, are going to experience rejection. The first idea you come up with is going to fail. The second one's probably gonna to fail too. and. It's hard, especially if you care about it. Like the, the scripts that I've written are probably the things that I care most about because it's, ver- it's very much an extension of my personality, Take, pulling some stories and, and perspectives from my own life, putting the characters on the page, building this arc. And when someone says, no, we don't like the story or the voice or the comedy or whatever, that's, that's hard. It's hard to put yourself out there and experience rejection and that's going to happen. So you have to be prepared for it. And I think think reading that book is a good place to start. And just having that awareness that you're you're going, you might be inclined to give up and not pursue it any further. And I, I strongly encourage you to push past that. And within that, like set, set tangible, realistic goals for yourself. That's sort of like the difference between big swings and small swings. Like I can be upset that my, opposite competition show didn't get picked up you know by CBS but <laughs> cool that I got to to pitch and if it had awesome but there are little things that I do have control over and like this is maybe a silly example and doesn't really pertain to to career but I've been learning how to surf the last few weeks and getting out in the ocean and trying to get a, get out there every day and just getting pummeled or watching somebody do better than me and feeling like I should be better than I am and like maybe catching one and getting excited about it but then getting right by the next one and like trying to navigate and learn that new skill has been oh it's been brutal it's been brutal but to show up every morning and push past that failure and I don't know at least in my life sometimes it's helpful or useful to have a skill, physical or like outside of the discipline, which you're focused on professionally to experience a little win in that area Mm -hmm. to, again, much like when I finished college to be like, Oh yes, I can do this. I can set my mind to something and I can accomplish it. And it may not be the end all be all, but I committed to it and I did it. And we need that affirmation of tiny wins along the path in order to stay fired up and to keep the momentum going for the the bigger ones that you're striving toward i I don't know
0: that's a perfect example because we're all about i did a a episode on self-confidence in a way and how the things that are out of your comfort zone and that you're able to accomplish it kind of gives you that positive motivation that i can do anything i can if i put my mind to it i'm going to get there and accomplish it and for you you're a midwest guy and you're doing something new with surfing and each day you're getting better and better you're trying and you're not giving up in a way you're just going to do whatever it takes to learn from someone research do anything and maybe you'll post it on your social medias that you've been surfing (laughs) maybe i will Maybe I will. We're going to see you on ESPN on the, I don't even know, the Ultimate Surfing League or something. You're going to do sideline reporting for that. Can
1: you you imagine? This whole time, my real calling has been surfing. (laughs) Oh, man.
0: That happens. I'm going to be like, "Um, everyone, go back to my interview that I did with him, and you'll see we just talked about this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's possible, everyone. Well, Evan, I wanna thank you so
0: much for coming onto the show and taking the time to talk about your journey. I've definitely learned a lot from you and I've enjoyed each step that you took to overcome challenges and what you've learned about yourself from your experience.
1: Thank you, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for, for having me on the show today. Tune in next time to hear my next
0: guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember, you can follow us and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms, but also make sure you check out our YouTube channel to get the full in-depth interviews with video. What path are you going to take to accomplish your goals? You decide. Have a great day, everyone.